Nerdy City flipped our world upside down and made things stranger with their nostalgic suburban horror game, Remembrance. Then, they made our skin crawl with a game based on the videos so gross and disturbing they were termed nasty with their horrifying tabletop, RPG Nasty. Now they send us back to the Saturday morning cartoons and brightly painted plastic toys we remember from our childhood that were more than met the eye. Commandroids, the first installment of the Radical Shadows universe, puts you in the driver's seat of your very own transforming robot. With a Kickstarter launching in the beginning of August, you can live out the battles between the heroic Symbatrons and the dastardly Nemesites in a world transformed. To be part of this Kickstarter and contribute, please search for Commandroids on Kickstarter or visit NerdyCity.com for more information. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know why, and I'm joined, as I am always joined by the Misty, motivated and late night recording mad wizard merwin what's up sean well thank you chris for recording late night since i'm going to be on a trip to the west coast yeah this is not a normal recording time it's uh it's the evening i'm not used to talking to sean in the evening the sun is down yeah i'm i'm up way past my bedtime down with D after dark that's right i may even be wearing pants neat let's get nerdy with it now with some announcements so let's talk about Trap Trap, an adventure by Jean-Laure Bear, friend and patron of the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is a neat, it has many of the things that I love in D&D. It's a one-shot yeah. that has traps mm-hmm. and it has kobolds. I mean, who doesn't love a good kobold, right? Right. So Trap Trap is a standalone challenge that can be run in a single session. The challenge is designed for a party of four third or fourth level characters. And as written, the tone for Trap Trap is an over-the-top, fun-but-deadly spectacle reminiscent of ancient Roman gladiatorial events. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Gene was kind enough to send us some copies of this. Uh, We've been uh, leafing through it now and again, seeing what we can uh, glean from it, and it's pretty interesting. Yeah, he he told me that he wrote this, or he finished it, after he had listened to our episode on Trap. Oh, neat. That's cool. So... I am looking forward to uh, maybe running it for some people to see uh, to see how well it plays. Yeah, I mean, you can pick it up on the DMs Guild right now, can't you? Yes, you can. Mm. So just look uh, Trap Trap. All right, uh, let's talk about the next thing. Uh, it's an article that we wanted to talk about. It was out a little while ago by James Hake, but it's uh, reimagining racial ability scores. So I'm um, I'm a I'm not a fan of. Uh, of racial ability scores. Not at all. Not in any way, shape, or form. I know they're a part of the game, but they're not one of my favorites. Yep. They're one of those sacred cows um, that I think is now ripe to be slaughtered. Yeah, we just kill it. It's fine. Yep. And it, it made it through to, through to 5th edition, and I'm. it's obvious why, because after 4th edition, people said didn't feel like the D&D they remembered. Um, they wanted to make sure that some of the trappings of older editions made it into fifth and racial ability adjustments um, are one of those things. And so I understand why it's there, 
but it's just uh, as we often call it, it's kind of like outdated design. Yes, outdated right. terminology too. Mm-hmm. True, very true. So what James Hake's article on Dean Beyond talked about was if you were going to remove racial ability score uh, increases, what would you do instead? And so he gives a couple of examples. Um, one is to reassign ability score increases to make your class the thing that raises uh, your ability scores rather than your race, or to tie um, ability score increases to your background. So if you're an acolyte, for example, it might raise your wisdom uh, by two and then one of your other ability scores by one. So you're tying um, those things to not what you are, but kind of who you are. Yes, I, I'm actually a bigger fan of that, in especially the background one, because um, I don't know, it just gives a little bit more heft to backgrounds, and I like the backgrounds a lot already as it is. So mm-hmm. that one works for me a lot. I uh, I think if you I would use this with the backgrounds all the time. Yep. And the third option he gives is to do a combination of the two. Give uh, an increase to an ability score based on your class and then give a different ability score increase based on uh, your background. Yes, that is a really good idea, too. But let me ask you this, Sean. If you're going to put a twist on this with a twist, what would you do? What I would do is I would get rid of ability scores altogether as well as getting rid of ability increases uh, based on anything, based on race, class, whatever. What I would love to see um, for 6th edition is get rid of uh, ability scores and just go with modifiers. And when you create your character, you just get the modifiers and you can put them wherever you want. So for this campaign, we're going to have a plus three, a plus two, a plus one, um, a zero, a a minus one, and a minus two. And everyone, put them wherever you want for your character. By the way, that's That's, that's Sean's OSR Death Trap Dungeon game where people are going to die all the time. Or, and so, you know, you could have your base. This is how we like to play. Or this is how the base game suggests you play. And then you can do whatever you want based on that. Um, If you want to play a a more low-power game, just give lower scores. Um, If you want... To have this, uh, what I love about characters sometimes is ones with really, really low scores uh, in certain areas because it, it gives you some role playing to do. Um, it makes everyone not a superhero, um, so you could just say, and you know, you get a plus four, plus three, plus two, plus one, but one of your scores, abilities is minus three. Boom! Everyone has to play with that. Let's go. Let's play. Um, you know, so you could you could do whatever you wanted. It's very simple. No worried about rolling dice or different methods of rolling dice or you know bob always cheats no offense bob um i'm not talking about any bob in particular just bob and i thought you were talking about everson um, but that's just me yeah uh you know so he always comes with all 18s yeah and, pretty much yeah i mean just just do do that uh it's quick it's easy it makes it easier to teach the game uh create characters that that would be my solution. Yeah, there is like a like a bit of latency when it comes to number than modifier, right? Because mm-hmm. the number in D and D doesn't. Uh, there's very few rules in D and D that mean much to the to the actual number of your stat. Yeah, I was trying to think of any that did, um, and I can't at off the top of my head. 
I know there was in fourth edition, there was maybe one or two things that were tied directly to your uh, score rather than the modifier. But everything I can think of in fifth edition is just refers to the modifier. Um, unless you're doing damage to an ability, like it drains your strength, you know, three points of strength, uh, then you're getting into needing that number. Uh, but you could you just as easily say take one off your modifier. So. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Like, yeah, I'm um I I can't think of whichever I thought maybe strength was, but maybe strength is based off the modifier in this version of the game. I always forget. Like not I mean, not strength, like carrying capacity encumbrance. It's possible. Not that any of us use it anyway. Yeah, and you could always tie those numbers to modifiers rather than. Um, than the straight number anyway. You, so. you can. You are you yeah. are straying dangerously close into the dungeon world area of games. Yeah. Which is fine. I, mean, I think that's fine. Yeah. I'm just yeah. throwing it out there. That's all. Which is I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's where that that's that's closer to where that design is going. Yeah. And that way you don't even need to worry about racial uh or background or any sort of modifiers. You just have what you have. Yeah. And the, now you, you can do something else you, with the with those things. Those like background or her- right. heritage I, would, I yeah. prefer heritage to uh, to yeah. race to species instead of race. Yeah, you know, I'm not you even could, sure if could, I'm down with species, but yeah, you know. I mean it's yeah, it's it's a minefield um, to to start getting into uh, quantifying things like that and using terminology that's shady to begin with. Um, so yeah, it's I think I mean, uh, heritage has got its own problems. So you know, yeah, exactly. it's all got problems. So, so so you could you could still tie certain abilities to uh race so orcs could still be you know reckless or whatever even but even then you're still talking about something that is borders on race racism um even though it's fantasy racism it's still there mm-hmm. so you know and you might even be better off of just having a um a laundry list of different ability types that you could take uh for your character yeah and we could we could talk about this we could have two three four shows we we could maybe we will Um, in the distant future yeah but i think you know if you haven't yet go read james's uh article on dnd beyond it's free of course uh to read the articles on dnd beyond so uh, you have no reason not to and let us know what you think on our forums uh if you agree with this if you think it's uh it's a good idea if it's not and why yeah the why part's the important part exactly we're curious as to the discussion mm-hmm. okay um let's move on to our topic which we were talking about acquisitions incorporated the book we're doing our third part which is growing your franchise the second half of it where we're going to talk about company positions and then the franchise tasks and downtime and how those have evolved which are really cool in my opinion um let's talk about the company positions, not specifically more in general first. So mm-hmm. you rank up in a company position, which there are eight of them. I think I read. Mm-hmm. Yes, there, there are. are eight of them. Um, they are the cartographer, decisionist, documenter, horde person, lore monger, obuvator, occultant, and secretarian. By the way, you could just go and get your subscription to D and D beyond, get the book and you can see all the stuff. Um, you get your ranks equal to your rank of your franchise. And at every rank mm-hmm. you get new abilities. Um, And these positions, they are another thing to add on to backgrounds, classes, and races. Although if you don't really want to have all four of those things, I feel like you could probably sub in, in some way, shape, or form, the company positions for backgrounds. 
True. I, I think that would not um, that would not take too much away from the game because most of the company positions give you um, some of the similar things that a background would give. Yeah, you. which is why I suggested um, that. Yeah, it doesn't give you it gives you some equipment, but not like a full uh, panoply of equipment. It gives you some uh, good word, by the way. Thank you. It gives you some proficiencies with certain tools and some skills every once in a while. So you, you could do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you actually don't yeah. need backgrounds to play D&D. Like, you could just take the, the, the money to buy your gold. So, I mean, True. same deal with the company positions. You don't need them to play D&D. I think they're better with all that stuff, but that's just me. Yeah. The cool thing about company positions, and one of the reasons why that they're in this book, is because in the Acquisitions Incorporated game, uh, Jerry Holkins, who plays Omendron in the AI game, and he's the DM for the C team, um, started to come up with these positions that someone would have in a company. And so it, it kind of kept the idea of this corporate entity becoming an adventuring group. It kept that going. But the more he used it, the more he seemed to realize that these positions are actually good for teaching people the game. Um, because as we talk about these, you will see, if you've been playing D&D a long time, um, you know, back in the first edition days, there were roles that you would take as the player. Someone would be the mapper, right? Someone would be the caller. They would be the one that made the decision for the group. What, you mean like the decisionist? And like the decisionist. Uh, someone would keep track of the of the treasure the horde person kind of like the hordes person so you know all of these things were there and jerry did a great job of beginning to move in that direction of hey let's match these former um things that were right in like the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide during ad and d days um and and move them into this corporate world and see how, how they come out and so he started doing that in his games and then we expanded on it for the book to come up with eight of them. It's pretty great, actually. Um, we won't talk about all of them, but we'll talk about some of them so you can get an idea of how they kind of function. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's start. Let's start at the beginning with uh, our mapper. I mean, our cartographer. Mm -hmm. So, uh, at, like we said, at every rank, you get something as a, as mm -hmm. as this. And at the beginning, the cartographer they they get proficiencies in starting equipment, but then they get an ability called "It's a Rental." So, mm -hmm. basically, at the start of any mission, you can requisition a second-hand draft horse and cart, um, a riding horses and ponies, typically well-aged, one for each party member, or passage on a ship or ferry that might require some minor labor as part of the fare, and similar transportation like that. Like, you get that stuff. Like, you could just be like, we need this, we're going to requisition it from the head office, give it to us. It won't be yep. great, but it'll be there. Yep, so, so that is your right as the cartographer for your franchise ai will pay uh, to have this for you ai will rent to have this for you because if you damage it or lose it yeah um you have to repay it to the head office that's very true it is it is definitely an ai um acquisitions incorporated asset yep they're they're basically loaning you a thing so mm -hmm. uh that should be a thing to note a lot of this stuff especially the low rank one stuff it has some sort of catch to it yes uh, but, but to me, that makes for good, good gaming, right? Like that makes for fun stories. Right. I mean, it's it's a you're not that, you know, you're not that hot yet, 
right? You're, you're not that hot of an adventure. You're still low level. And you are working for a company that's loaning you stuff. So, you know, make sure you bring it back in good condition. Yes. Um, as a cartographer, you also get at rank two, um, you have a spyglass already. But yes. this spyglass becomes a common magic item called a spyglass of clairvoyance. So with this thing, you can, um, any mile, any location within a mile, it's obstructing your view. Like think of a mountain or something like that. Um, you have to make a wisdom check. It's a DC 15. And then using your cartographer's tools, you can map the natural terrain found within three miles of that chosen point. You don't really understand what creatures or structures or, uh, or anything other than the natural terrain is around there, but you have that natural terrain now. So like that, that can be very useful, like natural paths, what deer and fauna are like, like carving out there, things like that. Um, and once you do it, you can't use it again until the next dawn. So it's neat. It gives you information, but it doesn't give you everything. Right. And it, it help, can help the DM then give you choice. Oh, you've mapped out this route that you need to take. Uh, you can go through that swamp, but that's the shortest way. Or you can go around the swamp through the mountains. It'll, um, you know, it'll probably be safer through the mountains. But it'll take longer. Yeah, so those are really neat choices to, to take. Right. And they could lead to very different encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of the... I want to talk about two more things. I want to talk about the Tale of Safe Travel, because there's an upgrade for that in there, and then the Map of Shortcuts. I like, I like both of these quite a bit. Sure. So the, the Tale of Safe Travel, you, have a, you can perform this ritual. It takes like 45 minutes. It, uh, you have to use your cartographer tools. And you need 50 gold pieces and consume material components. It doesn't say what those things are. It just has to be 50 gold and material components. So you just, you say you have it, you spend the money, good to go. If you do this, you can ensure safe travel for you and other creatures from your current location to another location you can normally reach within one day. Uh, the destination much must be one which you have traveled to previously or for which you have an accurate route and map. So you already need to have gone there. It's not like a thing that will get you somewhere you've never been. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, uh, it costs you some amount of money to do and some time. So I think that's neat. And then it says, moving on from that, if your tale is told with reverence and precision, so it's sort of assuming that you're actually going to tell this tale, mm-hmm. you and six other creatures plus their gear uh, become encircled in a magical bubble and are pulled into the border ethereal, which is in the Dungeons Master's Guide. Mm-hmm. So, like, you tell the story. And when you're done telling the story, you're where you're at in this yep. safe space. Yep. And so what th- this does many things, right? This gives characters a way to use these abilities to, you know, they're using resources, right? They're spending gold, which they might not have at lower levels, um, to to do this. But it also eliminates that need for making a roll every however many, you know, time units you want to, to travel. Uh, you can just get there. So it's also a narrative tool. Mm-hmm. Okay, we don't want to, to go through all of this. So we're just going to use this uh, Tale of Safe Travel, and boom, it's there. You're there. You, the, the narrative can continue from that. And there's role-playing involved because the cartographer needs to come up with this tale. Mm-hmm. And as you're telling this tale of the future journey, you're relating details of what will be seen during on your route. So, like, maybe you have a world map and you're doing that. But while you're telling that, the DM can choose to add to the story, imparting, like, more stuff to it. That could be future adventure seeds or whatever. And on top of that, if you want to, as the the cartographer, you can end the ritual early to allow the party to encounter what is being described by the dungeon master. There you go. So that eliminates the problem of we flew to this place and we missed the four encounters our DM had, uh, you know, 
put there that were going to be the next part of this big story. Mm-hmm. And that's that's assuming that they're coming back from somewhere, going to somewhere they've been before, right? Right. Uh, I just think it's neat. It, it's it's a very this is a very specific kind of D and D playstyle where you are now entering more of a narrative space than a uh, than a charts and maps space. Yep. Which is. I think it's great. Like, I'm glad that all of these versions of this game are starting to exist and we can play in a variety of different ways and there's rules supporting it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the last thing was the map of shortcuts. So this is at rank three. This is a pretty high level ability. You have to be like level 11 to get there. Uh, your map case, because you have a map case, it becomes a common magic item. So you can use it to generate a special map that identifies a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Right? So you just pull out this map and it's got a shortcut on it. I mean, it takes a DC 15 wisdom perception check to do so, um, but to, to find that map in your case. Uh, right. But your travel time is reduced by half when you, f- you follow that route, and if you succeed at the check by five or more, so you get a 20. The map notes the terrain, granting you advantage on the next ability check you make to travel through that area. It's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you use that feature, you can't use it again until you finish your long rest. Yep. So, again, what we are seeing in the book... I, I want to step back and, and, and talk about the book as a whole, just for a second, using this to illuminate it. You know, one of the worries that people had about the book was, oh, it's just silly. It's just goofy, and there's nothing in here. It's just, you know, it's just people writing comedy. And as you can see by just the few things we've talked about here, that's not what this book is, right? This book is carefully thought out. It's thought out in terms of people who have been playing D&D for a long time, people who have been playing D&D in different ways for a long time, who are trying to meld mechanics and narrative and role-playing and functionality all together you know, in a cool way. And I, I hope, as one of the you know, contributors to the book, that people are seeing that, that we, we went to great lengths to make it usable and useful for everyone yeah, this is not just not just for ai fans for somebody who didn't work on this game this book which i'm actually calling it a game this is a, a game version of D, right in my opinion like you're playing a specific version of D when you play with the rules in this book mm-hmm. it, it's telling a specific kind of story which i think is great right like and i'm not saying like specific as in like from beginning to middle to end i mean from like situation like you were part of a company that's the idea. Right. Um, and to, to get more into that, um, I, wanna, I really want to talk about The Decisionist. Because The Decisionist, okay. if there's one character in here that you probably need some buy-in from everybody else in the party, like one part, mm-hmm. this is the one that you want the buy-in from. Sure. Um, so The Decisionist, you are not necessarily, I mean, you're probably the leader of your, of your party, but you're not the leader whereas you can just necessarily always force things to happen or if you do you're going to be in a lot of trouble (laughs) after a a period of time like your job is to resolve inter-party conflicts Mm -hmm. so if the will of the rest of the party is to like do a thing you should be doing the thing with them because you always want to be on the side that is right yes (laughs) you you never want to be forcing everybody to be on your side yep um there are some rules in here that do that for you so Mm -hmm. (laughs) one you get a voting kit like you could have, it's like a bo- a ballot, a box of ballots. Oh, yeah, I I voted sticker set. Like <laughs> it cracks me up. Um, yes. And then you get your coin of decisionry. So this is a large gold coin emblazoned with the 
AI sigil on one side as heads and a ver uh, a various it doesn't it, it could be anything on the other side but they have right. some suggestions like Omendron or yourself or like a tankard of beer or a mass lord of Waterdeep. Um, by the way, the AI headquarters is isn't is in Waterdeep, right? Um, we it says we it in the put, book somewhere. Yeah, we put it there. Um, it's where it is has changed over the years. Um, but we just put it in Waterdeep because that is seems to be where Omen Dron uh, spends most of his time. That, that's fine. I'm just I wasn't sure if the book if the book was going to set acquisitions incorporated in the Forgotten Realms proper or not. Uh, well, yes. And if it was where it was going to actually set it, I wasn't sure yep. if it was going to gene- make it generic. So it could be anywhere, which it can be anywhere because of planner travel. Right. But uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to actually like specifically say that the headquarters was somewhere, which it does. That's fascinating to me. Yep. Um, that means it's part of the canon. Well, the, you know how I feel about the C word uh, canon. Um, so we'll just say that's what this book says. Okay. So <laughs> until until wherever, something until something else says differently, right? Wherever it works for you is where it belongs. For the book's purposes, we said Waterdeep. That's fair. Okay. Yep. Uh, so. At rank one, you get a, an ability called tiebreaker. So when people vote, you can present your coin of decisionary and cast two votes. So you get to be the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that that leads to the whole like making it so that you're uh, the one that helps settle party interparty conflicts. Yep. Um, this is the one that I wonder about. So absentee ballot. So if a member of your franchise party is absent, you gain their vote and can decide how they would have voted. Mm-hmm. Now, you know. Like at that point, like if you're if there's two people missing and there's a five person party, like you basically have the choice yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. That's why I say well, you need some buy in from the rest of the group. Yeah, but this is this is also they're not ta- necessarily talking about out of character. You know, they're, they're talking about in character as well. Oh, yeah. So. So, yes, you, you know, you're absolutely right either way. Um, and a a ruthless person could say oh you two go to the trading post and get us um some rope and then say okay let's have a vote while they're gone so you know it's it's something to yeah to be aware of but then when they get back they're gonna know something's happened mostly that's true that's absolutely true plus they could call for a revote at that point right very true um then you get at rank two, your coin of decisionary, it becomes a magic item. So when you flip the coin, it always lands with the AI sigil face down uh, with a, and a message appears in the tail's face and you roll a D4 to determine the message, which could mean lucrative, brand appeal, indeterminate, or ruinous. And this coin has absolutely no divination abilities. And its results are completely random when you use it. But nobody knows that, mm-hmm. just, just you. Maybe you don't even know that. Nobody else knows that, so you do know that. Um, when a creature within 10 feet of you flips the coin, you can exert your will to control its operation as a bonus action. So then you can choose the result that appears after it lands by uh, gently coercing the user towards a specific course of action. Like, you know, as a means of gently coercing the user. It's really cool. Like, that's, that's a fun little item that you can utilize in cities and things like that, right? Sure. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a deception coin, right? You, hey, ask my coin if you should give us 100 gold pieces. And then you flip it and you say, make it come up lucrative. And, oh, yep, it came up lucrative. That means you should because it'll be good for you. 
Absolutely. Um, there's only one other power I want to talk about with the decisionist is the the inspired decision because Sean, like like you mentioned, like I think these are the things that make this book pretty shine pretty pretty well. Is like these are actually abilities that I would want to have on my character. So at rank three, whenever a serious franchise vote is taken and the result goes the way you voted, you can inspire everybody else with a brief speech. So you have to make a DC 15 per- charisma persuasion check, and then when, if you succeed, your each me- uh, franchise member of your choice gains advantage on their next ability check, attack roll, or saving throw they make as long as it's within the next hour. Uh, the only thing is that once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. So that's the good limiting yep. factor to it. Yep. But I really like that ability a lot. Yeah, it's just something, again, you can roleplay it. It has a mechanical benefit. It's not overly uh, broken, especially at rank 3, because now you're talking about 11th level characters. Um, so it's not you know, super powerful, but it's, it's flavorful, and it's neat, and it gives you something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just going to mention the documents real quick. They can, mm-hmm. they, they're the people that deal with the contracts in a lot of the mm-hmm. documents. But they have an ability that's called Fluent and Boss, which is worth noting, because I think mm-hmm. it's great. So if you're fluent in boss, that means when you're when you're told to do something um, by the head office, you basically can cast the augury spell so you can find out uh, what the um, the best way to sort of please your higher ups. (laughs) That's it's just funny, right? Like you understand you understand boss like it's that's a good it's a good gag. And it really works inside of the um, Acquisitions Incorporated book. And it also has some usefulness to it. Oh, yeah, and uh, you get as your common magic item uh, to start with a, a satchel of holding. It's a documency stat satchel, um, which lets you communicate with the home office. Mm-hmm. You put something in, they receive it there. Um, it becomes a satchel of holding, which is basically a bag of holding, although it's mostly useful for scrolls. Mm-hmm. Um, you can pull a scroll of Comprehend Languages out um, once per day. So you've always got that ability if you need to. And then you can hold many, many spell scrolls in it um, and pull, pull it forth as an action. So, Sean, have you ever wanted to be the person that just carries around all the treasure? Uh, I've played a rogue before, so I have been. Yeah, so so if if you like doing that and you want to do that inside of a corporate situation, at least in a fantasy corporate situation, I think you just want to be a Hortz person, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, you you get the uh, you get the goods. You, t- you do get the goods. In fact, not only do you get the goods, but you get this item called a living loot satchel. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a, it's basically a bag of holding. Um, it can come in a whole bunch of different varieties. Like you basically pick what you want it to look like, or you can roll. There's a chart for that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and then for instance, the 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 bards is the loot case, right? That's that's great. I like the clerics. It's a hollowed out holy tome. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the wizards, it's a the pocket dimension hidden up your sleeve or inside your hat. Like, that's just fun. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. fun stuff. I like to think of it as a happy mimic. Yeah, a happy mimic. That sounds about right. That seems reasonable. Because right. it's a kind of a living thing, but it's really an object. And, uh, But, yeah, it turns into a uh, a bag of holding, portable hole sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what it is, right? So, um... It actually has like a secret compartment that goes back to a place in the whole in the home office, like a vault there. Mm-hmm. That's that's yep. how it works. Like it's it's right. like a little like portal. Yep. So if you need a, an item from the home office, you just let them know via documency, and soon after you can open up your um, living loot satchel and uh, 
pull it out. Yeah, that's that uh, that thing you need, right? That's a, the rank three ability, actually. Yep. It's a it's a bonus action of reach in there and grab it. Um, it takes a DC fifteen dexterity sleight of hand check to do so, but you can, like Sean said, you can grab pretty much anything from the adventuring gear table in chapter five of the player's handbook. It's really good. Works really well. Um, I it can only be used five times, um, and then you can't draw anything else out out of it until the next dawn. That's the limiter on it, which is really good. So, if you haven't noticed, there's like a design pattern on on a lot of these, and that's uh, how, how it kind of like functions. Yep. Um, there's also like a little thing that you get. It's called living the good life. So, like, the head office trusts that you're, as long as your needs are met, you have no reason to skim any profits. So they give you more money to live a wealthy lifestyle at no cost to you. <laughs> it's just taking care of the person that's holding the funds, right? <laughs> that's right. They won't need to skim if you're making sure they're taken care of. Um, out of the next four, is there anything that you wanted to touch on? I know I want to talk about the occultin, but we can talk about any okay. other ones if you want well, to. Well, I'll just mention the loremonger uh, real quick. The loremonger is the person that takes down the information. Um, so, you know, there's always somebody taking notes. What's that NPC's name? Um, what's our what's our mission? Oh, you there was a riddle about getting into the Mountain of Doom. Oh, we better remember that. So the loremonger is the person that keeps this information. And they do that via another magic item called the Whisper Jar, which is simply an ether-filled jar with a long hose. And the hose is the microphone that you speak into. And everything that you say is recorded in the whisper jar. And then if you need to remember something, you just use your action and it repeats it back to you. That's actually really cool. Mm -hmm. So being the lore monger has some really wonderful benefits, especially in the kind of games that I like to play and run. Mm -hmm. So there's at rank two, you get need to know and whispered encyclopedia. You mind if we yep. let's just touch on these for a second? So need to sure, know. Need to know is as an action you make a check. It's an intelligence investigation, and you learn a whole bunch of stuff about a creature because you have preternatural knowledge of the creatures around you. So you get its name, three aliases it has used within the past month, its primary profession, and its skill proficiencies. You can only use it once until you finish a long rest, and you can only use it once on any creature. But that's really cool yep. to me. Like you learn a whole yep. bunch of stuff. Yep, and and so what Whispered Encyclopedia does then is all the loremongers of all the franchises put their knowledge into one broad um, category or one receptacle that your whisper jar can then tap into. So you can find out information that you didn't put in, but someone else put into their own, and then it pooled at, in, the, uh, in the Acquisitions Incorporated database, if you will. Can, can we just talk about that then? Then There's, a, there's like a database sure. somewhere of knowledge. Yep. And all of the whisper jars are connected to it. Yeah, that means it's like an it's like a it's like a magical internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, this this is if we break it down now for gaming purposes, right? There's always this cool history in your game, and you're like, okay, give me a history check, and people are rolling, and nobody's getting it, and you've got this information you want to give. Now you can just give it. Yep. Oh, it's in the whisper. It's jar. in the whisper jar. Go. Just go ask. Yep. Um, I really want to talk about the occultant. I really like let's, the occultant. Let's do it. All right. And then we'll be done. We don't have to talk about it anymore. I think I just think okay. the occultant's worth talking about. So sure. the occultant's gig is that um, it tracks the creatures and foes that the franchise has bested or killed, the weighing of them against the deeds the franchise has achieved. So, like, they have this weird abacus that they use 
to uh, to like measure the karmic stuff of the their franchise, hoping to gain you know portents or insights or stuff like that, so they can have a better chance going forward. Little, little, little karma readers, I, I would call that, right? Yeah. All right. So, it the, the art's great. First off, for that one, yeah. I lo- the abacus. The, the abacus is wonderful. It's got a bunch of little skulls on it. It's so good. Yep. Um, so the the abilities I want to talk about are uh, read the kill is the first one. So read the kill. If um, you study a creature killed by somebody in your franchise within the last twenty four hours. You can then grant the character who slew it a D10. And then once within the next hour, that character can add that D10 to an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. Mm-hmm. That That is a really good ability. Yeah, it's it's pretty strong. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a D10, so it averages out to about a 5 or a 6. Um, but, you know, once per rest, that can be pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Especially when, um, like, you really need to hit with that one attack that you're trying to hit with. Right. Or that saving throw that if you fail is going to be very bad for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you can combine that with other things too, right? Like you can combine that sure. with advantage, and then you can combine yep. that with bless. Yep. So roll a couple of d20s, take the best of those—a d10 and a d4. Mm-hmm. So sure. really good ability. I mean, you can, it's nice. It's got a nice limiter on it. Once per long rest. So and you have to have killed somebody. So that, that those are good limiters on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, works pretty well. Um, I also really like Eldritch Occultant. So it tracks stuff like the people that you've killed and the people that you've saved. So if you hold it within five feet of something you've killed within the past 24 hours, you can cast the augury spell. The course of action that you inquire about with the spell does not need to have any connection to the, the dead creature. Um, this property of the uh, occult and abacus can't be used again till dawn. So yeah, not bad. That, that- yeah, that spell is one that is, it's a cool spell, and you can do really cool things with it story-wise, but especially at, at like, mid-levels, it's it's hard to justify wasting a spell slot on it if you're, you know, you know you're going to be going in the back. Oh, yeah, so it's great yeah. to have it on these other things, right? Right, just so you, for story-wise, you can do things with it without using that resource. Yeah, there's a few places that augury is used in interesting ways with these um, these professions, these positions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's bring out your dead will upgrade. Like you can use the read the kill. It's called bring out your dead. It's, it's read the kill feet. It's read the kill upgraded. You can use it after a short or a long rest. That's all it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one, I guess we should talk about death's omen and uh, beat of instant karma. So beat of instant karma is that you, um, as a reaction, you can target a creature you can see that's about to use an ability check and attack roller saving throw. And you can either grant them advantage or disadvantage. And then a bead that is on your abacus crumbles to dust, and then it will reappear the next dawn. I think that's really flavorful and fun and useful. Yeah. Sure. Um, and then at rank... Yeah, and, yep, go ahead. And I was just say, that's at rank four, so you're talking 17th level. No, I'm, I'm talking so rank, rank three. That's rank three. Oh, I'm sorry, Death's Omen. Yeah, rank yeah only, three, only level 11. I'm, I don't really talk about the level 17 stuff because a lot of people don't yep. play up there. I mean, if you are playing up there, awesome. Cool. I would love yeah. to hear your stories about your games. I really yeah. would, actually. At, at rank four, it's beat up diverted karma, which is something different. Yeah, I yes. don't even know what it does, because I barely ever look at things that are level 17 until I get to level 17. Yeah. Um, the Death Summon one's pretty pretty solid. So you can read the portents of a creature's demise. So you choose a creature that's below its maximum hit points. Make a wisdom check. It's DC 15. Insight. Um 
and that you can determine whether this creature's immediate death would have a neutral, negative, or positive impact for you and your franchise. And you get to know if, if it's different for you and the franchise. So, like, if it's a different answer for you and the franchise, you get to know that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a fun uh, role-playing thing to have there. Yep. And, you know, also, once again, we're into, into augury space, right? Sure. And it's a bonus action, so it doesn't, like, impact, like, the fight-type stuff usually. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just want to... Oh, I love the occultant. I think it's yeah. fun. So, so the occultant is, after something happens, what is what, what does that mean for us? The obviator is the strategic planner. They, they look at the situation and try to figure out what to do based on what they're looking at. So they're kind of two uh, sides of the same coin. The obviator is beforehand. The occultant is taking, uh, taking down the numbers afterward. Ah, okay. And the last uh, position is the secretarian, which is kind of the, the PR person. <laughs> they're the person who, um, keeps keeps um, track of who you've hired they they keep track of what people are talking about around your franchise um, secretarians of different franchises talk to each other to keep tabs on things to share information um, so you know it's a uh, it, it is very much tied to uh, business but it's also pretty cool within the um, within the game itself because your magic item you get is a sending stone. Uh, so you can talk to people. Yes. You can, you can uh, interact. Um, your, your abilities are something like the rumor mill. So through your sending stone, you can make history checks to learn about things happening in other places. Um, you can send your card away or send your card. So you have this portfolio that becomes a magic item. And, uh, it, you you put business cards, quote unquote, business cards into it, and uh, yeah, and those things have certain powers, mm. and so it's it's just kind of a it's kind of a neat thing, um, again to keep track of information, but to put a business spin on it. Yeah, it's it's very flavorful. It fits right into all the rest of these and what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so that's that's the company positions. I think they're great. I think they're designed really well. And I think they do a lot of the things that they're supposed to do to, to bring you into that corporate feel fantasy D and D game. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on now to franchise tasks and downtime. Um, the first thing I wanted to do was talk about a downtime activity from the original player's handbook so that we can contrast it with all the, with the down, some of the downtime activities in the acquisitions incorporated book. So here's one from the player's handbook, practicing a profession. You can work between adventures, allowing you to maintain a modest lifestyle without having to pay one gold piece per day. The benefit lasts as long as you continue to practice your profession. I'm not going to read the rest of it because it's just more boring stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a, not a very fun downtime to me activity. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it, it, it does what it does. You might make a, f- little gold you get a free lifestyle yeah you don't even have to, you don't even really get to make gold right right i mean they assume you're making gold to keep yourself alive yeah i so, mean yeah. if you're the uh if you're the hordes person you just get that once you're level five yep. true um so 
the reason I bring that up is now let's talk about some of the stuff that uh, that this book is trying to do with their with their downtime activities. They are providing um, a chance to make a number of checks to see how well you succeed. They're asking you to understand what your goal is of what you're trying to do. There's like a nice little uh, section in there about uh, how you should go through thinking about downtime activities. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your goal? Like what, what, what's the path to it? Uh, what are maybe some possible uh, complications that could come about that? Um, then it asks you to think about what are your rivals doing mm-hmm. and how might they impact your downtime activities? Uh, I, I'm going to assume that everybody knows what downtime is. Sean, is that fair? We don't have to really rehash that, right? You know, why don't we? Why don't we just mention what downtime is, is what you do when you're not out on an adventure. Mm-hmm. And um, mechanically, yeah. it has some some stuff to it. Like you get uh, some amount of downtime days between adventures. Right. And th- there's no hard and fast rule. It's usually a campaign by campaign thing where some people just ignore it completely oh, you gain a level and we're off on our next adventure. And then some use it to give players different options for what they might do when they're not adventuring. Um, so, And as Chris said, the, the ones in the player's handbook and the DMG are pretty pretty basic. And, and it, that's okay for some campaigns, but downtime is another way to deliver a, a mechanical fun game and another way to pump up your narrative. Well, to compare, then, let's talk about this idea of franchise restructuring, okay. which is a downtime activity. So the idea is that yep. sometimes a growing franchise needs to you know, fix itself, fine-tune itself, move some pieces around to get things working correctly. Mm-hmm. So to do... Th- or, yep. I'm gonna, or if you've ever worked in a, for a large corporation, you know, this is the... We're going to ramp up a new initiative and we're going to restructure the way we do X or Y. <laughs> and you, normally what happens is, you know, you, you do this for a month and then either it sticks or it falls apart and you go back to doing things the way that you once did. There you go. Um, yeah. So you have to spend some amount of resources to, to in, enact this. It's about two work weeks of effort. I uh, also just spend 100 gold pieces per rank and expenses to, like, you know, pay for the restructuring. And then uh, then you'll have a resolution, which is how a lot of these are structured. So you make some amount of ability checks. Usually, in, in this case, it's uh, two ability checks with a DC of 13 plus the franchise rank. Um, first, you have to succeed at either an intelligence history or wisdom insight check, you know, so you can identify the proper areas to innovate. Uh, you get a plus one, though, for every character with lower monger or, or horde person position in the franchise. And you get some extra bonuses, you know, if... Uh, if the character making the check is in one of those positions. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, then a character or staff member must make a charisma, deception, performance, or persuasion check to get everybody else on staff, or everybody else on board with the changes. <laughs> and you get some bonuses for having different other people in the, in the yeah. proper positions. Sh- and this is, this is so exactly like a corporate thing, yeah, right? It's, it's the people behind the scenes are like, okay, this will work if we do this. This will be good for us. And then you send the person out to make sure everyone understands that this is for the good of all. And so you give that charisma check uh, to get everybody on board. It's perfect. So if you really want this to work, too, you can spend hundreds of gold pieces, you know, mm-hmm. just throw more resources at the problem to make sure that the project goes off correctly. 
Yep. Also very project management uh, um, corporate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to a maximum of a thousand for a bonus of plus ten. Yep. So also, uh, you can also get a, a plus one bonus for every two week work weeks beyond the initial time spent undertaking the activity. So the longer you take, sure. too. it's there's this thing in project management called the the triangle of like uh, was it scope, um, mm-hmm. resources, and time. Right. right there, you go. Sean is like cringing on the other end of the of the podcast right, right now. He's like, "Why would you do this to me, Chris? I hate this stuff." Yeah, that's it's the, the the old saying is you can have it fast, you can have it cheaper, you can have it good. Pick two. That's right. There you go. Um, so it's either going to take a long time, it's going to be really expensive, or it's not going to you know it's not going to be good. So you do this, and then you make those checks, and then there's a chart, and it has for zero, one, or two successes. And based on that, you can look at um, at the benefits that you get. So, like, if you don't succeed at all, you failed. And the franchise monthly cost is increased by 20% for one month. Mm-hmm. But if you do, like, super well, get both successes, uh, you get to your monthly franchise's cost is decreased by 20% for 1D four months. Mm-hmm. So that's th- that, that can be a lot cheaper for you when you have a much higher cost, right? Like, if you're... If you have some sort of like giant castle that moves around, like that's thousands of gold pieces a month. Right. So if you can decrease that by 20%, you're doing, you're doing well. Yeah, you're saving yourself some cash, especially if it's for yep. more than one month. Yeah. But you know what, Chris? Sometimes in narrative games, failure is cooler than success. That's true. So there are complications. So what happens when you get zero successes in this situation? Mm-hmm. Roll a d6. Oh, and then there's a con- then there's some stuff that happens. For instance, right. uh, the search for efficiency uncovers a previously unrecognized issue, such as corruption, problems with staff dynamics, or an influence from a rival. Mm-hmm. That's always pretty fun. Want to pick another one? Yeah, I like the restructuring plan has too many buzzwords and acronyms. The resulting confusion sees shipments or staff sent into a dangerous location. A sidetrack adventure is required to recover the lost personnel or goods. I just want to fail that so that can happen. I mean, exactly. I don't want to pay the extra money, but I want to definitely go on the sidetrack adventure to recover the people yep. and goods. And, and, the, and the cool thing about this is you, you could use it even if you succeed, right? Even if you succeed, one of these complications might happen. You could use this as a create an adventure, create a campaign sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. Um, I don't think we need to talk about the marketeering. I do want to talk about the structure of these, though, now that we've gone through one. So sure. it is definitely like you're going to do a thing that has a goal to it. So right. in our in our example that we kind of highlighted, like you're going to restructure the franchise and it's going to provide a benefit, which the benefit is to save money over the course of time. Right. That's a very corporate thought, but that is exactly what it does. Um, then you need to figure out how you're going to do that, which is like, what's it going to cost? And then what are the checks that you need to make to get there? Right. And then each of those checks, there should be like, for however many checks there are between zero and three, between two or three, that's pretty much all of them are two or three checks. They each have some benefit that comes with them. So it's graded, it's graded successes. Sure. Um, and then if, if it's, uh, if it's two rolls, then zero is the bad thing causing the complication. If it's three rules, it's usually zero and one successes are the bad thing that causes the complication. Yep. And then you have some complications that you have an idea for. So like if you're making this stuff up on your own, it's not that hard. You don't have to come up with these charts and whatnot. You do, you do need to know 
what the benefit is for zero, one, and two, or three successes. But other than that, like, you can tell these little neat stories with your downtime. Yep. And just, I just want to read off what, what, are, what downtime activities are in the book. It's explore territory, franchise restructuring, headquarter modification, marketeering, philanthropic enterprise, running the franchise, scrutineering, shady business practice, schmoozing, or team building. I like those are the ones that... the shady business practice and team building ones. They, they have to be hilarious. They are hilarious. I've, I've sort of uh, skimmed through some of them, but they're so funny. Yep. yep. And this isn't something that your characters necessarily need to do because you have a staff. You could put these activities off onto your staff and have them doing this while you are out adventuring. And then when you come back could come back to reaping the rewards of a well-trained and careful planned activity or you could come back to total chaos you know what we talked about this um a couple of episodes ago uh yep. with people like or maybe it was last episode i think it was a couple episodes ago when, when you have a franchise maybe it was last episode you have people in your franchise like you could have a one-off adventure of doing the team building exercise mm-hmm. with those other characters Sure. Right? Like not your main characters, but like the NPCs and the crew and the, the skilled and unskilled laborers that run your stuff. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It could be, you know, a, a two hour session of just that. I mean, I, I'm kind of interested in the, the game where like there's a group of people that come and play the, um, the hirelings of the adventurers. Oh, that's funny, And then yeah. like every game they come back, like there's this terrible, like, horror like what did those adventurers do to us while we weren't here playing yeah because <laughs> they have the that's, sessions in between that's very true oh that would be it, kind it, of fun it would be a, an interesting game to uh to run for two separate groups you have to get some serious buy-in oh yeah for sure all right well uh this went longer than i expected i was having really f- a lot of fun talking about the uh the the the, the positions um, I, I'm glad that you uh, let me do that, Sean. It was a little enjoyable for me. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Uh, let's do some Patreon shoutouts because that was a really fun episode. And these patrons should be thanked for letting us do that. Mm-hmm. MT Black, Matthew Pezzarelli, Nate Brooms, Robert Aducci, Robert Day, Robert Dorgan, Ryan Bolter, Space Rhino, Steve Bissonette, The Closet Gamer, Thomas Hook, Troy E. Taylor, and Troy Pitchelman. Thank you so much for being our patrons. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down With D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, you also get to see our show notes, and you get access to our Slack room, where you can chat with us about your favorite D&D topics, or your gaming topics, or whatever you want to talk about. You know, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Apple Podcast is the way that many podcatchers use uh, to rate and rank their shows, so that would help make us more visible. Yeah, we, we greatly appreciate it. Um, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or now you can go to our forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. How about you, Chris? So you can hit me up at the light 101. That is the best place to get me. That's on Twitter. Or you can hit the show and the network, which is at Misdirected Mark on Twitter. You can also just go to the website. It's a really nice place. Um, and you can get to all these places pretty much from there. 
And you can also catch other great shows, such as the Gnomecast, where several gnomes from the Gnomes to get together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown in the stew. Although, I think we've all been thrown in the stew because some of us are clones. Mm, cloned gnome stew. Mm-hmm. Down with the Indie is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Um, so, Sean, buddy old pal, what corporate espionage downtime job are we going to go on today? We're going to go kill some monsters and then figure out how that affects our karma. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. 